Welcome to Talking Shop, the podcast all about Adobe Photoshop. Brought to you by learningphotoshop.cc. Here's your host, Dave Cross. Well, hello and welcome to episode 31 of Talking Shop. This episode was recorded live. Well, it was recorded in Los Angeles at Adobe Max. And in this episode, I'll be talking about Photoshop 2020 and Photoshop for the iPad. Well, I'm recording this episode of the podcast at Adobe Max, Adobe's big conference. And by big, I mean there's 15,000 people here, so it's big. And it's also a challenge to find a relatively quiet spot to record something like this. So if at any time you hear music or laughter or banging doors, that's just the reality. Maybe some traffic, who knows. But I wanted to strike while the iron was hot, so to speak, and talk a little bit about some of the new enhancements that have been made to Photoshop 2020, which is now available. If you're a Creative Cloud subscriber, of course, you can download it if you haven't already. I wanna give you a bit of an idea of some of the new things that have been either added or enhanced. So first of all, let's talk about enhancements because it's easy to get caught up talking about new features like there's this new tool and there's this new function. But to me, one of the things that I always look forward to is seeing what they do kind of under the hood to see what they can improve upon. And there's a couple of things that are noticeably different. And the first one is the file new command. If you've ever used file new or just hit command or control N for new, up until recently, it's been kind of a painful experience because it took way longer than it should to open the dialog box. So they've finally fixed that. It was actually working pretty well a few versions ago, and then it kind of broke a little bit and got really slow. So now it's really, really fast, which is awesome. So that's that's definitely a big enhancement. The other one that is a noticeable difference, well, it's only noticeable in terms of results because you don't see any difference, and that is in the select subject command. They use this artificial intelligence and they refer to the models that they use to create the machine learning to do the select subject that they've improved upon those. And in their testing, they're getting, they're getting better results than they were before. Now, I did some quick testing using previous version of Photoshop and now 2020 using the same command on the same image and there was a definite improvement in terms of accuracy of the edge. In one example, the older version, the previous version, when I select subject of a person, it did not select the space between her arm and her body, whereas in the new version, it actually did. So can't guarantee it's gonna happen every time, of course, but it's always nice when that kind of behind the scenes under the hood stuff is changed and enhanced. Another very interesting enhancement is in content aware fill. When you use that command and it brings up the dialog box, what used to happen is you would make the selection first, then you go to content aware fill and it would highlight in green all the areas that it was considering using as the fix for your selection. But in some cases it would select way too much and you'd have to go in and erase or paint away the parts that you didn't want to be used as the fix. Well now there's a few options. One of them is auto and that's the one that's set on by default. And it's actually pretty cool. I found when I was experimenting it worked very well most of the time. So for example, if I had a photograph of a 
grassy field with a blue sky and I want to get rid of something in the field, there would be no reason to use the sky as an area for replacement. And with that auto button turned on, it would generally do a better job of not including the sky. Now, of course, you can still take away from or add to the areas that are being considered for the content-aware fill, but that auto button just does a better job. There's also a button that's rectangular and it tends to select more just in case you need it. But I found so far in the efforts that I've made using the auto feature definitely improves things generally quite a bit and and makes things a lot easier to use. Now I mentioned a minute ago about the select subject enhancements in terms of the newer model. There's a new tool that's been added to Photoshop 2020, which is the object selection tool. And the idea of it is, imagine that you had a photograph that had four people in it. And when you use the select subject command, it's going to look and say, well, I see four people, so it's going to select all of them. But if you only wanted to end up with a selection of one of them, you would have had to manually adjust it. So now with the object selection tool, there's two options. There's a lasso option and a rectangular marquee option. And you make a rough selection, in this case, around the one person, and then it will look inside that. And it's almost like it's doing select subject, but inside the selection you've made. So it narrows down the focus. You can even take it a step further and say, I only want to select this person's green shirt. So you lasso, using the object selection tool, lasso around roughly around the green shirt, and it will snap in and select the subject within that. So it's it's pretty good. I mean, I got to say, one of my philosophies of making selections is if I can do anything automatically that's going to get me closer to an end result, then I'm going to do it. And this tool definitely does that because something that I would have previously used, select subject, and then tweaked it quite a bit, now this can really narrow down the focus quite a bit. So again, the best way to think of it is almost like it's still using select subject, but you are the one identifying the area that you want to use rather than Photoshop just deciding to say, well, here's all the subjects that I see in this photograph. So those are kind of the the major ones. Actually, there's one more. This one is, I think, going to be, for me, one of my favorite changes from a productivity standpoint. I've always liked, I've used Illustrator for, for years, and one of the things that I thought Illustrator always did really well, and they started this a number of versions ago, is they had a properties panel that would change automatically based on what you were doing. So if you had an object selected, it would give you all these options. As soon as you went to text, the choices you can make in the properties panel would change. Now, Photoshop has done that a little bit, but in this version, they've really done a good job of enhancing the properties panel. So for example, with a type layer, if you look in the properties panel, now you'll see what used to be, and still are, separate panels for the character and the paragraph and transformation and you know all the different choices that you would potentially make with type. And as soon as you open a new document and you don't have anything in it yet, suddenly the properties panel shows you document type settings like image size and canvas size and so on. And also at the bottom of the properties panel, you'll generally see quick actions. So for example, if you opened a photograph of a person and it still was the background layer at the bottom of the properties panel, you would see quick actions such as image size, crop, trim, and rotate. However, if you then took that background layer and unlocked it, 
the quick actions would change slightly and you would see things like remove background and select subject. And remove background means it will do select subject and then add a layer mask. Now, is that gonna be a perfect selection of mask? Probably not, but it's still, in many cases, worth trying because it's still very fast and gives you a good start. You can still edit the mask, of course, once you're finished. Some other small but important things that have been added. There are new preset panels for things like gradients and layer styles, and they're very drag and droppable. So if you're doing gradient adjustment layers, it's very easy to change on the fly. You drag a gradient on, and then from then on, you can just do a single click on any other gradient and it will update. So it just makes life a whole lot easier. There's also been an interesting change to the warp tool. We've always had the ability to use free transform and then warp and have preset kind of shapes, but now there's a whole grid and you can add all kinds of extra grid points. So if you want to have many more vertical lines or horizontal or both, you can add those very easily through the options bar. And then you have more points to be able to edit everything very easily. A couple of other things that are important to know about. If you're using a brush tool that, that is not just a circle, in other words, let's say it's an oval, you can now rotate the brush on the fly simply by using the arrow keys. So you don't have to have multiple tools or have a Wacom tablet or anything. If you want to rotate on the fly, you can do that. And also while you're using the brush, if you want to erase the brushing you've been just doing, you can hold down the tilde key, which is the one just above the number one that has that weird little accent, and that will automatically switch to the eraser on the fly, so you can go back and forth between painting and erasing, which is kind of cool. And one that I'm a fan of, because as you may know, I'm a big fan of smart objects. If you have created a smart object and you decide later on that you want to in effect, release that smart object back to its original layers. In the past, you had to go to the contents document and do a bunch of duplicating. Now there's an option that just allows you to release back to the layers and it'll create a group with the layers inside of it that was that original smart object. Now, one other thing that's worth noting is that the first time you go to save a document, you'll probably see a dialog box that comes up that gives you two options for saving, the ability to save in the cloud or locally on your computer. And one of the directions that Adobe's been heading, especially with things like Photoshop and the iPad, which we'll talk about shortly, is to save your documents cloud-based so that it's easier to move files around between your various devices. So when you go to save, you're going to be presented with that option. So it's important to remember that so you don't end up saving things to the cloud if you don't want to, or vice versa. If you decide you like the idea of doing cloud-based documents, then you want to make sure that when you're saving, you have that option. So overall, I would say I'm I'm pretty happy with Photoshop 2020. I think there's some nice enhancements. Again, no kind of one killer feature that makes me go, oh my gosh, this is going to save me a ton of time. Although I will say the properties panel is definitely growing on me day by day every time I use it. And I have to kind of change my habit because I'm in the habit of going to the, for example, with type, going to the paragraph panel or the character panel. Now it's all in one place. So that's pretty cool. And I hope it's foreshadowing of the future is that they'll keep doing that and enhancing the properties panel. So you won't have to go look at several different places. Everything you need to know will be in that one place. So I'm going to give you my thoughts on the other big announcement, which was Photoshop for the iPad. But first... 
It's time for the tip of the week. This week's tip is about using type. If you're adding some type to a document and you want to see what it's going to look like, but you don't actually have the real type yet. Under the type menu, there's a command called paste lorem ipsum, and that's going to add some dummy text that you can use to get an idea of what a paragraph of text will look like without actually having to type any text in yourself. And then later on, of course, you can replace it with the real thing. So paste lorem ipsum is a great way to mock up some text in a Photoshop document. With short tutorials, in-depth multi-lesson courses, and live Q&A sessions, learningphotoshop.cc provides the Photoshop training you need to succeed. So yeah, the other big thing that Adobe announced was Photoshop for the iPad. Now, a year ago at Adobe Max, they made a big deal of saying it's coming to the iPad, real Photoshop for the iPad. So let's get this out of the way right away. It's not currently real Photoshop. It's portions of Photoshop that you can use on an iPad. So what Adobe decided to do, and I... I give them credit for at least letting us know this, is that they said, let's kind of focus our attention on compositing. So the things that we'll release in this very first version of Photoshop for the iPad are things like layers and masking and making a selection and things of that nature, the ability to do some type. But beyond that, you'll find very quickly, you go looking for things and go, I want to apply a filter. Well, right now there's like one, Gaussian blur. So if you want to do a motion blur or some other filter, nope, sorry, you can't do that. For me, the the big drawback is that although much of it is non-destructive because there's layers and opacity and blend modes, there's not smart objects and smart filters. And in fact, if you open a document that you started in, let's call it desktop Photoshop, and went to try and edit an existing smart object, while it displays it, you can't edit it on the iPad. So it would actually duplicate the layer and flatten it, which to me, as soon as you do that, why would you want to edit that? Because then if you do go back to your desktop, the smart object wouldn't be edited. You'd have a flattened version. So that brings up probably my first question about this whole concept is, who is this designed for? Because if you're a person that has a desktop machine and or a laptop, where does the iPad version kind of fit in? Would you really be somewhere where you thought, I'm just going to bring my iPad, I'm going to start working on a document on my iPad and then eventually open it in Photoshop to keep working on it? Maybe. Uh, I know personally, I, I can't see myself doing that. I've been playing with the iPad version for a while now. Uh, through the beta program at Adobe, and and I was like, okay, that's that's interesting. But the, my thoughts about it initially were, well, if they keep calling it real Photoshop on the iPad, people are going to be disappointed because it's not, it's not, doesn't have everything, and it's different because, of course, the interface of how you do things is different. You don't have an options bar, you don't have menus because it's not the same kind of operating system. All applications on an iPad are kind of standalone that use their own methodology of working. So you won't find a file menu and everything else. So if you would think of going to like image size, you don't go to the image menu because there ain't one. So that's that takes some getting used to. Having said that, it does take advantage of some of the touch capabilities of an iPad. So if you're using your fingers rather than an Apple Pencil, you will find there are some advantages. And it shows you how to use, like if you'd use two fingers versus three versus pinching, etc. But I keep coming back to the same 
big question mark is who is this aimed for and for what purpose? And I'll just talk about me personally. I have a laptop. I do a lot of my training when I'm traveling. I have a laptop. When I travel, I also bring my iPad because I like when I'm on a plane to either watch movies or read books or jot down some ideas or whatever it might be. And it's just sometimes easier than my laptop because of the apps that I have for those purposes. But if I was getting sitting on a plane and thought, okay, I've got a five-hour flight to Los Angeles and I want to do some work, I wouldn't even consider taking out my iPad with this Photoshop for the iPad because it's so limiting. Even if I was doing compositing, would I use the iPad? No, not at all. I would use, because I have it, why wouldn't I use my quote-unquote desktop version of Photoshop that has everything on my laptop where I can use all my keyboard shortcuts and the familiar way of working. Now, I was having a discussion with my friend Matt Kloskowski about this a while back when they first were talking about Photoshop for the iPad and I was saying things like that that I just don't get it and I don't understand why someone would want to do this and he just kind of looked at it and he said, I don't think you are the demographic they're aiming this at, making reference to my age. And I was like, fair enough, because his point was, and it's a valid one, that there are the, I hate to sound like an old fogey saying this, but the younger generation are used to doing a lot of things on their mobile devices. So the iPad that they carry with them all the time may well be one of their significant tools for working. And, I, and that, that's fair enough. I get that. But the thing I keep coming back to is if you still eventually want to move it over into the full version of Photoshop to say, finish it off or get it ready for the next step. To me, at, at the moment, at least, some of the work you can do in the iPad is actually going to cause you grief because it's going to be a little more destructive than you might be used to just because of things like no smart objects and no smart filters, to say nothing of the fact that there are, there's only one filter. But let me clarify one thing about this. So fellow from Adobe was talking about this and one of the comments he made, and I was I thought this was an interesting kind of admission on their part that they decided that they were just going to focus on this initial version would have some compositing type features, but it does share the same code base as Photoshop. Now, I'm not a coder, so I don't know exactly what that means, but the way he described it, it means that it's not like they're building everything from scratch. So if they decide next on their roadmap is to add, hopefully, smart objects and smart filters, it's not like they have to build it from scratch because they just take that part of the code base from real Photoshop and adjust it so it works on the iPad. So I'm, I still have mixed feelings about it. I think it's, it's a cool idea to be able to say Photoshop on the iPad. I think many people, once they start actually trying to work with it, might find that they're perhaps a little frustrated uh, because of the things that are missing. There's also definitely a learning curve. So for example, unless you happen to have a wireless keyboard that you use with your iPad, which I'm sure some people do, but if you're traveling, you may not. Things like when you want to transform from the center instead of from the corner, in regular Photoshop, you would hold down the Option or Alt key. Well, how do you do that on the iPad since there's no Option or Alt key? There's a little touch control that if you hold it, it's like you're 
doing the equivalent kind of of the shift key. If you drag towards the outside of that circle, it's now like the equivalent of holding down Option or Alt. So a little bit different, a little bit tricky, but I guess like anything, once you get used to it. My hope is that they'll continue to add new features, and when they do, I might look a little bit more closely at it if I ever find myself in a situation where I only have my iPad and not my laptop or maybe my laptop's on the battery. I don't know. I'm just trying to come up with reasons where I might actually use it. But as Matt pointed out, I guess I'm just not their demographic and I don't know honestly that many people from a pro user kind of standpoint that would look at this and say, wow, this is great. I'm going to use this every day. I think it's cool. I think it's got great potential. But I'm sort of withholding my final opinion until I see, oh, hopefully over the next little while, they'll start adding some new features to keep this Photoshop for the iPad growing and turning into something that hopefully might be even more useful, because right now I'm not too sure. Now, just some final thoughts. Adobe Max, if you ever have a chance to come... Uh, and you're under the age of 40, <laughs> there's definitely, when you look around the attendees, it's definitely a younger person's show. I'm just being realistic because it's very much a mixture. It's not a photography show. It's not a Photoshop show. It's everything Adobe. So there are software that many of us have might not have even heard of that people use. Like my son is a, a UX designer, and he uses some tools that when he mentions them, I'm like, nope, never heard of it because it's not the field that I work in. So there's classes on all kinds of things, and you'll see it's very much more of a design layout, web design kind of a show with definitely some Photoshop and photography. But for example, walking around the, they don't call it the trade show, but the community pavilion, there's lots of companies that I'm just like, I'm not really sure what these people do. <laughs> because some of them are not even things that are software related. They're something to do with design for your enterprise wide corporation. They're, they're tools that do that. I don't know. You can tell I couldn't really tell what they were doing. But having said that, the keynotes, amazing. The uh, the whole setup, it's a huge community pavilion with both regular trade show areas and other areas where you can experience and try things, new new tools, etc. It's definitely an interesting event to come in. Not inexpensive, as my dad used to say, but it does include most of the meals. And tonight, as I'm recording this, it's the Tuesday of Max, which is the night they have this thing called the Max Bash, which is a huge party outside with bands and food galore and just it's crazy to see what honestly the money they must spend i have a feeling that even though there's 15,000 people here they probably still don't make money on it because they they put an awful lot of money into it so interesting to at least experience once in your lifetime and it's also the time where they make the big announcements like things like the new versions of their apps which are available now so hopefully that gives you a bit of an insight as to some of the things that adobe have been working on and that are available and you can get them as your part of your Creative Cloud subscription. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this ad hoc kind of recording, not the way I normally do them, but at least I wanted to get all these ideas out while they were still fresh in my mind. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Cross. I'll see you next time. Find us at talkingshop.show.
This podcast is not authorized, endorsed, or sponsored by Adobe, publisher of Photoshop.